0: I'm going to speak out of turn uh, right now because I feel that on my heart. Um, But going back to what Kelly was talking about with Financial Peace University, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, I really want to take that class and I don't have the money to do that. That's the only thing holding you back from being able to take that class. I want you to reach out to myself or Marcus or one of the elders or Taylor. It can be anonymous. Nobody has to know who you are, but if you need that help today, please reach out and I will make it my personal mission to help finance that class for you. Please don't let that be the hang up for you not taking that class. <clears throat> my name is Adam. I'm one of the elders here and I feel like every time I'm up here, I get to say this, but in my the words of my Mississippi roots, uh, this scripture today is a tough field to plow. I mean, it is just tough. And Pastor Marcus has spent the last two weeks going over Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to those two sermons, I encourage you to go back and listen to those two on podcast or YouTube, all the various places we have it listed. But I encourage you to listen to those because they're really crucial to where we're coming up to today in verses 29 and 30. Romans chapter 28, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. Heavy, heavy text. And so much uh, depth in this text that we could talk about it for a week and still not cover the depth in this text. So I've tried to squeeze it into 40 minutes, so buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 8, verse 29 and 30, and we'll read the scripture. It's going to be on the screen for you. And we read from the ESV version of the Bible here. Uh, It's just what we choose to read from. Um, And here we go. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. He also called. And those whom he also called, he also justified. And those whom he also justified, he also glorified. Amen. What we see here. Is one of the most comprehensive views of God's saving grace found in one passage, stretching from eternity past to the eternity future. We see here four Bible words, as, or as Taylor, my wife likes to call it, Christianese. um, Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, and justification, four giant words. Words that we're going to break down today, but you need to understand that these are words that God Himself uses. These are words that we're not to be ashamed of or to shy away from, to avoid in conversation because they may be controversial. No, these words are of God, which we should never be ashamed of. And in short, predestination should never be divisive. Instead, it is given that it might be giving comfort and assurance to us. Many Bible uh, teachers refer to this passage in Scripture as the golden chain of salvation. This chain, if you will, starts in eternity past. And the first two uh, links of this chain are foreknowledge and predestination. Again, this is heavy text, so please stay with me. Um it's going to be hard to, hard to stay because it's a lot of words and a lot of text, but please try to stay buckled in with me. The next two links in the chain which extends into the present are the calling and the justification. And these happen at the moment that you enter the kingdom of God. And the final link in the chain, bolted, anchored, and secured our future in eternity, is glorification. The chain spans eternity. It is unbreakable. It is forged together. And when Paul assures the Roman saints in verse 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He then follows in this verse with God's work of predestination as a reason why we can be assured of the truth. In my study this week, I came across this simple illustration, if you will, uh, to explain the topic of predestination. When we came to Christ, it was like walking through this gate, and you don't see very many of them anymore, but in the old days, ranches had these big gates that had pillars with a header over the top. And on this gate that we walked through, it said, whosoever will may come. And once we pass through this gate, if you turn and, turn around and look at this header, and we, we, we walk into the Savior's arms, we can turn around and look, and you can see on the top of that header on the backside, chosen from the foundation of the world. And we can praise him for his sovereign and saving grace. So let's break this down this morning, okay? Verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, now for whom he foreknew this this he is god the father not not no confusion there this he is god the father and everything hinges right here on him being the lead domino in this this effect and when you push it he pushes this over it starts the whole chain so it is important that we understand the word foreknowledge in the language of scripture to be something foreknown is not something which God was aware of prior to a certain point, but also it includes the idea that God gave prior consent. It 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 gives the idea that He gave His consent to it and His favorable or special recognition to it. That's what it means to to for, He foreknew. To say it more plainly, this is all God. It's none of man. This has nothing to do with us. We have no contribution to make in this process. And we have been reiterating this fact during our benediction through this entire series. For from him and through him and to him are all things, not some things, not most things, not many things, all things. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We should also touch on what foreknowledge is not. Foreknowledge does not mean that God looks down this tunnel of time and sees who chooses his son Jesus and who doesn't. And then when he sees who does, he predestines and sets it all into motion. The hinge point is not what God sees that you do to choose to do with his son. So many Christians have a faulty understanding of predestination because of their misunderstanding of the word foreknowledge. We're, we're not a live Lego set, just going around living our little Lego life, and then when He sees us make a choice, He says, oh, "Okay, I'm gonna pick that one." We're not, we're not Barbie and Ken living in the Barbie world, although although we act like that a lot of times, we're not Barbie and Ken. We're not little puppets. He doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Let me explain why this is a faulty viewpoint. When, when it says God, had, God foreknew us, it doesn't mean that he's sitting back learning things based on our free will and what we're doing. It doesn't mean that at all. God has never learned anything. God doesn't learn what he previously did not know he is not all of a sudden learning someone new came to jesus this is an inaccurate view of god the reason god knows everything is because he ordained everything we can't change that this is not mere foresight we're not looking to, if if god were simply looking down this tunnel of time and all all he would really see is Utterly and totally depraved sinful humans who would never choose his son on our own doing. We be lost sheep who would never choose his son. Remember that we previously learned in Romans verse three or chapter three verse 11, No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless and no one does good, not even one. We don't have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the minds to even understand. If God were only looking ahead to see what we would do, all he would see is people who, on their own, cannot choose him. This view speaks far too highly of ourself and far too lowly of God. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, I do not believe that there would ever have been a man delivered from his present evil world if it it had not been according to the will, the purpose, and the predestination of God. It needs a mighty tug to get man away from the world. It is a miracle for man to live in this world and yet not be of it. I'm sure it would never have been wrought if it had not been according to the will of God our Father. We can't do it. This is all by God's design. It was all pre-existence of the world. This is foreknowledge, not foresight. This has nothing to do with events or circumstances or choices that we're going to make it's not to say what he saw but who he knew a personal knowledge so we are dealing with events not dealing with events but we're dealing with individuals and finally the true meaning of form knowledge is to choose love in the greek it does it does not mean foresight of faith instead it re- refers to god's covenantal commitment to individuals that he set upon his love upon for the creation of the world. John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus Christ knows his sheep in in a way that he does not know the goats. He knows sheep in a way that... He he does not know the rest of mankind. Those sheep know him. They have a personal, love-saving, experiential relationship with Jesus. He says, I know them, and they know me. And you'll know the order in which he says it. I know them, and they know me. He first knew us, and then we know him. He loved us before we could ever love him. He chose us before we chose him. Now that we have a fair understanding of foreknowledge, and I say fair because I'm not a scholar by any chance, and there's so much deeper we could go into that. Now that we have a fair understanding of foreknowledge, let's dive into the next part of that line. For those whom he foreknew, He predestined to conform to the image of Christ. Paul is saying that God predetermined the destiny or future of every believer, a glorious future in which he or she will be like Christ, conformed in the image of his son. Predestined means the destination is determined before the journey begins. There's nothing within time or eternity that will stop whom he foreknew from being ultimately called, justified, and glorified. He predestined you. And there is nothing in eternity that will stop those from whom he foreknew being ultimately called, justified, and glorified. I want you to think about that today. You are as certain for heaven in this moment as a believer as if you've already been there 10,000 years. There wasn't a first-round draft pick. There's not a second or third. And the rest of us are all just walk-ons. None of of that happened. He foreknew all this of his elect at the very same moment. There are no dropouts of Salvation University. I said that. If, If you have been told in your life that you've been saved, and if you do X, Y, or Z, that you lose your salvation, that's wrong. And you can tell them that Adam said that. And I'll answer to God on behalf of that. You cannot lose your salvation. The goal of predestination is to be conformed in the image of his son. And so we see that predestination doesn't need to be this frightful word for the believer. But in fact, a wonderful doctrine to bring comfort and encouragement and thankfulness to our heart. God's in control. He has a plan for your life and for mine. That plan is to be conformed into the image of Christ. Believer, if you aren't being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, God's Son, showing greater and greater likeness to Jesus, we call that showing fruit in your life. Then you need to take a greater look, a sober look, and an honest look at your salvation. We see Paul exhort a believer, the believer in Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you failed to meet the test. I read this story this week about a, a fellow by the name of Phipps Festus Bourne, a master woodcarver from Virginia, whose carvings are almost exact replicas of what he carves, real objects. When asked about his work, he stated, Carving a duck is simple, he said. You just look at a duck. You imagine what it looks like. You take the piece of wood, you get it in your head, what that duck looks like, and you cut away everything that it's not. This is the way of God. When he foreknew you and me, he doesn't see the wood when he looks at us. He sees the finished duck. Does that mean that we're not the block of wood right now and that we don't need some carving? No, it doesn't mean that. But when he sees us, he sees the finished duck. And as we grow in our faith, the things that make us look like the block start peeling away. Just imagine if you could see yourself as the finished duck, the way God sees you. So why are we predestined? Why are we foreknown? It's not for no reason. He says, to be conformed to the image of his son. This is what God's about in your life. It's to make me and you more like his son, Jesus Christ. It's called sanctification. It's a lifelong process. We don't, it doesn't just happen overnight. We have to become more and more like Christ as we live our life. And we can never max this out. None of us have ever arrived. How can you know if you're chosen? How do you know God's work work in your life? You just, you follow the teachings of this Bible. You follow what Christ set apart for us. And we see this all throughout Scripture. It was a predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God that put Jesus to be able to be put to death on the cross. The greatest sin ever committed in the history of our human race. Predetermined, premeditated murder of the second person of the Godhead. That is the most heinous crime that's ever been committed and crucifying the only perfect man that ever lived, the Son of God, yet it was prescripted by God our Father. And not only has he predestined the death of his Son as a means to accomplish salvations for all whom he called and he chose, he's also predestined all of the circumstances surrounding every aspect of your life your circumstances of your conversion and everything around it. God predestined who would bring the gospel to you. Even if that means me, even if he used Adam to bring the message to you, he predestined that. He predestined who your Sunday school teacher was, who your parents were. Your gender, your height, your weight, your ethnicity, the language you speak, he predestined all of those things, and you can't change that. And every one of us needs to say, well, why me? Why did he predestine me? Because there's no reason in you or me that God chose us. God chose to love us in spite of us. He chose to love you in spite of yourself not because of you, but in spite of you, he loved us on his own. The only thing we brought to the table was our sin and laid it on the on the foot of Jesus Christ. When we came to salvation, that's the only thing we brought. If you're predestined, God has moved into your life and he will never move out. This, this is the first purpose of predestination is to make you more like Christ. The second person we see in the next part, uh, the purpose we see in the next part of this verse, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Scripture reveals that the firstborn had all, always had preeminence in the early, early Bible. God's ultimate object, therefore, is to glorify his son. Therefore, the primary person, purpose in God's predestination is that Christ might be the firstborn. That is, that Christ might be made preeminent. Look with me in Psalm 89, verse 27. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of kings on the earth. In this passage, God is speaking to David about, God's, about his Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David specifically there would be a descendant of David, a greater son of David who would sit on the throne and be king forever and not just over Israel but over the whole world and that the greater son of David was none other than Jesus Christ. David wasn't natural; the natural firstborn. David was actually the eighth son in his family. But this isn't a mistake either. Firstborn means that you are the highest son no matter of your birth order. Doesn't mean you were the first one to be born. It means you were the one to be given the family business, the one to be in charge, if you will. And Jesus Christ was chosen from within the Trinity Not the Spirit or the Father, but the Son was chosen to have the place of preeminence in all things. And the role of the Spirit would be to draw our attention to the Son. And even the Father himself would point the finger to his Son and say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well-pleased. So the purpose of predestination is twofold. Number one, that we be made like his son. And number two, that his son would have many who would recognize his preeminence. And throughout the ages we come to, throughout the ages to come, we would worship him and adore him and ascribe to honor and glory him in his preeminence. And know that he's the king. I made it through the first two links in the chain, this golden chain of salvation, foreknowledge and predestination. And though brief and general, and as well as a Mississippi boy can put it, we got to dive into the final three links because we're getting late in the day. Verse 30. Those final three links, remember, are calling, justification, and glorification. In verse 30, it says, And to those whom he predestined, he also called. Paul is talking about here what is known as the effectual call of God on your life. This is because there is a cause and effect. The cause is God's foreknowledge and predestination leads to his calling, and the effect our salvation, justification, and glorification. The he in this text referring to God is God's calling the sinner to Christ. It is God alone doing the calling. The who, the who in this text is to whom he has foreknown, whom he has predestined. He is only calling these and he is calling all of them. And what is the nature of this call? It is a summoning from God. Charles Spurgeon states, the general call of the gospel is like the common cluck of a hen when she's always uh, giving when her chickens are around her. But if there's any danger impending, she then gives a particular call, quite different from the ordinary ones, and the little chicks come running as fast as they can and they hide for safety under her wings that's the call we want folks we want that call from god god's particular and effectual call call to be his own so in simpler terms there are two types of calls there's an external call or the general proclamation of the gospel it is the general invocation invitation rather that comes through a preacher a parent a sunday school teacher that causes the sinner to come to faith in jesus christ so let's back up adam i thought you said we were predestined if we have salvation and if, if he predestined all of us before we started then why, why do we need to go tell people about Jesus? Because it says right here in the scriptures, go and make disciples. The scriptures tell us to go and make disciples. He predestined that each one of us would, would lead somebody to Christ. That's why we go out. That's why we, we come to church because he says live in community. Grow in community with your brothers. Don't forsake the gathering. It's essential that that we don't get wrapped up in these things and we think, oh, we're off the hook. We don't even have to go to church. He predestined me. I have faith in God, so I'm going to heaven so I can do whatever I want. That's not true. Don't fall into that. No one in the history of mankind will ever be saved without their first being an external call. Let that one sink in on you. And think about the people you passed this week that might have needed the word. Nobody that you passed this, nobody will be saved without their first being an external call. Romans 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing comes through the word of Christ. That's why we go into the world and preach. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we evangelize and tell other people. That's the external call. But this isn't the call mentioned here in verse 30. This is the effectual or the internal call. The external call pierces the ear. The internal call pierces the heart. It draws the sinner to faith in Christ. Look with me in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 and he's preaching to the masses. Picture this big football stadium full of people and he's preaching this sermon about coming to faith. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent, sent him to me draws him. No one can come to me, Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him, that internal call. Did you catch that? Nobody can come. None of us have the ability to come to Christ because of our sinfulness. We are slaves of sin. We are chained to our sin. And the divine intervention is the call of God. The call that is so powerful that when God calls the individual to faith in Christ, it overcomes all resistance in the heart of the one who is called. It literally draws you to Christ. No one can come to me unless the Father sent him, him, send him, sent. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This call is eternal. This call is divine. It is penetrating. It is captivating, and it is irresistible. It's irresistible. As we start to wind down a little bit, these last two links in the chain. And to those whom he had called, he also justified. And to those whom he justified, he also glorified. What we see very clearly here is that in matters of salvation, God always finishes what he starts. God never instigates and starts a work of salvation until he finishes it all the way to the end. He doesn't get distracted like Adam and has 45, 11 things over here started and not one of them finished. No, he finishes every one of them to the end. Justified. It means to be declared righteous. The justification is immediate. It is complete. It is undeserved. It is perfect and it is irrevocable. What was that big word you just said, Adam? Irrevocable. That means, in Mississippi terms, that if you have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that it cannot be taken from you. It is irrevocable. It cannot be taken from you. The moment that one believes he or she is justified instantaneously, justifying us by imputing perfect righteousness, that was achieved by Jesus Christ in a sinless life and a substitutionary death. When you're justified, you're justified immediately in a moment, in a snap of a finger. It's an instant transaction. You sit down lost, you stand up justified. We use the baptism as a picture of that. That's not what saves you, but we use that to tell our brothers we went under the water sinful, we came out justified. That's what that whole picture is. You come to the church lost, you leave justified based upon faith alone in Christ Jesus. When God justifies someone, he justifies them fully. No one around his table is more justified than anyone else. All have the same equal standing before God. And what a glorious truth that is, no matter how many heaven points I try to take away from you or give you. It's all a joke because we're all the same. When we're justified, we're justified. But maybe some of you will say, well, Adam, brother, you don't know my past. You don't know how reckless I was with drugs and being wild or whatever over here for all my life. You don't know that. You don't know how I cussed God in my life. You don't know how I cussed God this morning before I got up and came in here. How could he love me? How could he justify me like that? Fill in the blank. You don't know this about me. And to that, my friends, I will say this to you. You don't know how deep the grace of God is. And you don't know the depth of his forgiveness and the fullness of his righteousness in Christ Jesus. Justification is a fact if you have believed in Christ. It has been done in you. It has been done. Finally, verse 30 states, and to those whom he justified, he also glorified. I want y'all to think about this word. Glorification is the last link in this chain, the one that anchors it in eternity. But I want y'all to look, and, I, and I'm not an English major, I'm not a Greek major, but I know that glorified with an ED is past tense. It already happened. Glorified means to render glorious, to cause to have splendid greatness, to clothe in splendor, to invest with dignity, to give anyone esteem or honor by putting him into an honorable position. It is God's final removal of sin from the life of the saints in an eternal state. To be glorified means that we will have a glorified body a glorified spirit or soul, a body that means that means we'll have a resurrection body. We'll be perfect in front of Christ, in front of God. Perfectly adapted for our environment in heaven. And from what I understand, it will be so close to the image of Christ that it won't it won't we won't know each other necessarily. It won't matter. The, the, these clothes we wear the shoes we wear none of that matters we'll all be the same and we'll be worshiping God together but I want you to catch the way that he's justified glorified already done past tense past tense he foreknew us he predestined us you felt the call on your life You've been justified, and he has glorified you. He's already seen that in heaven. He's seen you in heaven with him. He has seen you living with him in heaven. If God has already justified me and already glorified me, What can I not accomplish in his glory? As I wrap up, and the band makes their way back up, I want to ask you this question. How should the understanding of this golden chain of salvation apply in our lives? How should it apply? I'll tell you my thoughts. We should live in humility, knowing that God could have just as easily not foreknown you as he has foreknown you. There's nothing in me that made God love me. God didn't love me because of me. He loved me in spite of me. Secondly, secondly, We should live with the highest praise for God. Let us praise and give glory to God that he chose me before the foundation of the world to be with him forever. And he would not take no for an answer. He would not take no for an answer. There's no situation happening in your life. There's no situation that's gonna happen in your life that can prevent him from taking you to him. And lastly, we should be on fire to spread the word of Christ. Listen, there are people that God is gonna save. Whether you take the gospel to them or not, he's gonna save them. God will have somebody get the gospel to every one of his elect, every one of them, in his way this liberates us and frees us from the pressure. No one is impossible to be saved. Whoever you think is the furthest person away from God, God can still save them. I want you to know, and in a heartbeat, God can bring them to Christ. And you can be a part of that. And that fires me up. I don't know about you, but that fires me up to be a part of that. It's a difficult scriptures to read through. Lots of big words to understand. Just know that God loves you. He foreknew you before this world was created you're not a puzzle piece your choices don't don't sway his mind whether he wants you or not we're all fit for the kingdom and all you have to do is believe in his son Jesus Christ let's pray